oh, dude, D&D's been around for a while. I think like the right? 70s or 80s maybe. Yeah. But back, they, back then. Yeah. You can you can look stuff up about D&D and they honestly the feds were worried about kids playing D&D because of all that sharing and teamwork was counter to capitalism. I'm I'm not kidding around. Like, like you can go and look up. They had tabs on Gary Gygax way back when. They were watching him. Uh, I think we need. I think what you need to do is find a cool song for this, like one of those like kind of peppy like. <laughs> you know. <laughs> The first idea, the first question here, and all of these questions are kind of nested. The first question has to do with content creation and distribution. We have social profiles and we upload media all over the place. And the real question here that we're gonna start off with is why do we bother doing this? What does an individual, and you and I being individuals, we can chime in about that. What does an individual hope to gain from that? And what's the end game for content, whether it's for you and I or for the corporate individuals, because corporations are people. Uh, Obviously. Yeah. What What is the end game of content in the environment that we are in right now? Why do we go to such lengths to maintain all of these accounts that we have, all of these platforms that we're a part of and we have profiles on and they all have different usernames because none of this stuff is unified. What is the end game for us when it comes to content? And tangentially, what is the end game for a company as they are exploring how to put their content out there? Uh, hmm. I mean, I can say for myself, content-wise, for me at least, I think it's kind of this creative flailing, like trying to work on a book, writing blogs, talking on Twitter, trying to make Amazon videos, whatever it is. I think to some degree it's a replacement for community. Mm. I'm displaced. My whole family's all over the world, right? My in-laws are in Malaysia. My dad's in Tennessee. My mom's in Michigan. I've got like a small group of friends here. But you don't get that feeling that was already kind of leaving when we were kids of having like a tight-knit community where everyone knew each other, wanted to talk. You know, I guess church was the original Twitter feed. You'd go there, drink coffee. <laughs> that was the original them. gossip building. It really was. So, I mean, I think for me, it's A, it's kind of creative expression and B, it's like just trying to find community. So it's a matter of warmth for you, personal warmth you get from creativity, from engaging with others who also want to create something similar to you or help you out with it, or you want to ping pong ideas around with those folks. And the act of creating content and figuring out where to put it is that part of becoming engaged with a group of like-minded people. It's something like that. And then, of course, there's also something to be said for just uh, sort of leaving your mark, right? Because we've been trained at this point. Like, we've got PewDiePie. You've got all these beauty vloggers. They have a full-time job recording themselves talking. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. And we kind of, I don't know if we quite grew up with it, but it's like an embedded part of the culture now of people just sharing. And it's more than just newscasters now. I mean, I don't know. What about you, man? You've, you've been at this creativity stuff a little longer than I have. Yeah, I, but we could use this as a therapy session as well. Um, of course. <laughs> I, I've been writing, uh, I've been writing stories and books since like second or third or fourth grade. Um, I would, I would ignore classwork and I would find a place in the corner and get like a yellow legal pad and write stuff out longhand. And then I would go home and type it up on the computer and try to figure out how to print stuff off. And I did that because I had a really stupid, unfocused imagination. And the only way to engage with that and to release those chemicals in my brain was to put that stuff down on page. Now, the moment one grows up and faces an audience and faces the purpose of that creativity and also has a vehicle, a distribution vehicle for that, like the internet or like any number of things, you have to pivot a little bit and it's like that moment you begin playing counter-strike against people that you that are way better than you or start playing chess against people who are way better than you and you realize oh my god i'm a punk and 
that identity that you've crafted around your creativity, it can be so precious to you that you're afraid that it could become wounded and then you become wounded. But nonetheless, if you can't bring yourself to walk away from it, you have to convince yourself that you're going to get even better at it and you're going to take all those chess tactics and you are going to beat that other Counter-Strike team. I even don't know why I'm using Counter-Strike as an example. I've never played it in my life. It's much <laughs> but, as you'd imagine. Yeah, it's, uh, it, that's, that's the shorthand. And what is the end game for content? The end game for content for me is therapy uh, to, get, to get ideas out because I can't help but engage with media or engage with content and think, man, this Star Wars movie sucks. <laughs> here, is how, here is how I would have done it. And I'm not saying that I sit around writing Star Wars fanfic, but I am saying that if that is how you entertain yourself, then I think that's pretty cool. Even if you don't necessarily share that with other people, I think you should. I think certain people who do creative things and don't have a platform to share it on, I feel really bad for those folks because our environment, our vast distribution network across the internet hasn't nurtured collaboration as well as it should have. It's kind of just created a network of people who try to make the, the meanest joke as the quickest in the comment section of, of something. And I, I think that end game, what's the, what's the end game question? That's, Kind of a big question. I don't know if there ever is an end game, right? Content used to be bards traveling and telling stories, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think that's too much different. Well, I guess it could be a little different than the president of one of the biggest countries on earth talking shit on Twitter. <laughs> I feel like like uh, Caesar's missives, right? Yeah. Oh man, I don't know if we can. I feel like content has gotten more and less weighty with. <laughs> It's weightier because more people do it, but it's more weightless because it's too easy to do. Right. There's no investment. You don't have to be like, okay, guess I'm not going to have a farm. Guess I will be traveling around telling stories full time now. Yeah. Or I guess I won't write a book because I don't, I can't afford paper or I can't afford, you know, there, there were, this is, this is a separate idea and we can probably get onto it in a different, in a different question, but I think an individual, uh, their motivation for creating content might be to either share what's on their mind and either with as many people as possible or just to keep it to themselves, which is, you know, that's their personal decision. And I wish we had a better system to help people discover new pieces of art and new pieces of creativity because that's important to have a lot of separate opinions so we don't become homogenized in our storytelling and our entertainment and our viewpoints around the world. The end game for it is to get to the next thing. Find what the next medium is. I mean, I think one thing I, I think about with creation a little bit, because this might be sort of an ignorant statement because I'm not super science-y, but it seems like a lot of the easy stuff has been discovered. Like, not mm. that it was easy to discover electricity, but it seems a lot harder to discover to, I don't know, find dark matter than it is to like discover electricity and get electrocuted by a key, whatever that might be. That but is, think... yeah, that is a very good point. And the annoying part is because it's so much harder to advance human civilization meaningfully at this point beyond electricity, beyond fusion power or self-driving cars or hyperloops or uh, any, whatever it is that human society needs to make the next quantum leap. Because it's too hard to do that, we invented the iPhone X. <laughs> please, Google. Please, Apple. Take all of my facial data. Yeah. Did you see that. that thing now? Like the amount they can pull from face data? They had a AI that was doing very, very high probability predictions on people's sexuality. Yeah, I heard about that. Data. That's terrifying and horrifying. And the moment the Iranians get their hands on that, they are going to kill so many people. Dude. Dude, that is that that is a weird we're in a weird time with that kind because, of stuff. Because yeah, if like, oh well the computer said that you're gay and that's illegal. Uh so it does have a ninety-nine percent success rate on these predictions. So oh god. Oh man. Yeah, that's that's the terrifying thing. Let's let's move on to the next question. How about that? Sure. 
Uh, and we started talking uh, about video games earlier, which is, I think it's, it's a pretty big part of my life. It's probably a pretty big part of your life. And how, how long have you been playing games for? So my first, I think the first game I ever remember playing was my parents had one of those old Macs kind of back in the day. I must've been like 10 or something. And they were mm -hmm. playing Wolfenstein and they would make each other oh, wow. custom levels. Yeah. And uh, at the time I thought Mecha Hitler was super scary. That's like <laughs> my, that's like my first gaming memory was being terrified of Robo Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? I, I, uh, I remember unboxing the original Nintendo with my brother. Um, and I remember putting the orange zapper to my brother's head and clicking it mercilessly. <laughs> but he was four years older than me, so he could just backhand me, and that was the end of that argument. Uh, and I got in really big trouble that night uh, for doing that. So uh, the, the, another, another interesting memory I have is playing the original Prince of Persia on my friend's black and white Apple computer, and we couldn't figure out how to jump. Um, <laughs> Because it was keyboard control and you're like it's WASD to like move around and stuff, but we can figure out what jump was. So, and in the original Prince of Persia, there's a time limit on the game. You have one hour to beat the entire game. And we spent an hour and we couldn't jump over the first pit. And that was the greatest day of my life. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's some correlations to real world activities there. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna give us. I'm gonna give us a 10-minute timer for every question. How's that sound? Sounds good. That way, so if we we don't know how to segue, we'll we won't be stuck. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the start on that. With with this question prefaced, let's talk a little bit about multiplayer games, and why does that have to do with content? Well, that's a good question because with a multiplayer game, you know, a massively multi not a massively multiplayer game, but let's say uh, you know, PUBG or Arma or even Overwatch, something that is multiplayer at its foundation. Mm -hmm. And there aren't necessarily stories in those games. Some of them have them, some of them don't. But there is more, there's more narrative in the background than, you know, here is a miniature movie and now you play. And here is a miniature movie with characters talking to each other again and now you play again which is a really good format. It works really well for The Last of Us. It works well for basically, uh, I'm not gonna list all the Naughty Dog games because they're the ones that do the best at it. Um, why, where do we required, or require authored story? If we're talking about content, where do we need the creator to provide us with story? And where do we allow people to entertain the theater of the mind and permit people to find their own way with story or find story between the lines. How do we best trust people who are engaging with content or story, whether it's a video game or otherwise? And when do we creators insert ourselves and provide story for them? What's the responsibility? It's interesting. So let's, I'll, I'll mention one of my favorite games and why it's so good at emergent stories. So it's a game called squad. It's a sort of, big maps so 10 by 10 kilometer maps uh, military shooter game pretty realistic you have to do like logistics supplies you know you drive tanks whatever but the big mechanic they did and what i think they did really well is on this massive map that takes you like 15 20 minutes to walk across there's no predefined spawn points right you only have your main base where your like vehicles are what you do then is it's called squad right because the teams are divided into squads so you have like 50 versus 50 and then you'll have like four squads five squads on each side each squad is responsible for building their own forward operating bases. So you actually go and you're like, well, this compound looks pretty good. Let's build up there. Let's put in some sandbags, maybe put up a machine gun to cover the river, whatever it might be. And without them giving you any narrative like, oh, this wadi and this compound happened is right here because of this, this and that. Every time you go in, you have these little dramas emerging where you're like, we built this thing here. Now we have this river and we have to get this thing covered and there's guys coming from the southeast. They keep coming from those buildings over there. This one fucking guy on our squad keeps doing this and that. And it's like just such an emergent experience where nobody needs to tell you what to do to have fun. You're building these little mini dramas every time you load up that sort of game and you do it mostly over VoIP. So you're doing with these strangers from all around the world and just sharing these experiences. Mm. Uh, that's that's my personal like favorite emergent type of gameplay. I don't know about you. They gave you the tools to 
create to have drama come forth organically mm-hmm. because you all had the vocabulary and you understood the need of that particular situation to fortify yourself, you know, an objective, you know, people's certain responsibilities. And that came out just by, because you were given the tools and the circumstance. So that's as, that's as interesting as getting people together to go for a hike and discovering that, oh, we forgot the food or, you know, there's, that's, that's an interesting way to approach it because the story is just you participating in the action. There isn't necessarily, I'm I'm gonna guess there's no like, oh, did you know that the guys on the blue half of the map are, they are generaled by general blue hands and he is a real jerk when it comes to eating his vegetables. That's why we hate him. Like, no, like, yeah, that's no, that's silly. <laughs> yeah, the most the most you get on that is like squad leaders on the opposing team talking shit over all chat, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's again, that's organic because are do you think that they are doing that as a psychological thing or do you think they're just jerks? Uh that's that's a silly question. Of course they're just jerks. Uh, um, dude, there's there's all kinds of things, man. So for example, if they have a mortar base set up and they're mortaring you and they're very accurate, yeah, you, know, you might get on all chat and be like, Wow, are you guys blind? You're not hitting shit. And it's 40% of the time, the mortars will move like 10 meters east and you'll be safe. Yeah. So you never know. And then sometimes, yeah, you're just talking shit. (laughs) Compare that to something like Overwatch, where there are, I think, 25 characters in the game right now. Um, I think it started at like 23 or something like that. They've added a couple since then. And every character has an individual background, a backstory, potentially a relationship with another character. And you are kind of running around environments doing somewhat unrelated activities and having little little computer game multiplayer matches. But as you are doing these things, you are moving through environments with narrative importance. And you only discover that as these avatars that you're inhabiting, which are indeed characters, converse with one another during the match. So Tracer might say something to Winston, the giant ape, be like, Winston, remember the last time we were here in Egypt and blah, blah, blah happened? And Winston be like, yeah, I remember that. And that's all the story that you get. But because there are so many locations and so many characters and they've recorded so many lines of dialogue, psychos on the internet have pieced together what might be an order of events and background for each of these areas and people. How do you feel about story coming out that way you're showing up just to play a computer game where you move the payload which is most of what overwatch is if you want to you can listen close and read between the lines and discover more story going on that's very trusting of the player and it also caters to one person's needs versus another some people just want to show up and play computer games other people want to think really hard about why is this character dressed this way? Why do they always curse out this other type of character, this other character? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, there's a lot of motivation to discover more about what's going on behind the scenes. And that's a little bit more unique to video games than, than say, let's use game of Thrones. as the most popular thing on the planet. Uh, where there's an actual narrative, loose as it is, um, and it's less it's less trusting of the viewer to go and find all this information in the background. How do you feel about uh, background narrative, I guess? I think that's interesting. It's sort of the middle of the spectrum, right? So on one end, we have these wide open, say, military FPS, where there's literally no story other than the yeah. US Army, their Taliban, go shoot each other, right? Sure, yeah. I think something like that, like Overwatch, is kind of a cool middle ground, right? I think that whole thing started with like finding PDAs in, I don't know, what was the first game to really go ham on PDAs? I'm thinking a new- uh, You could say System Shock or Bioshock or any of those shocks. Yeah, um, I think- Yeah, they find audio logs. Yeah, I think that's kind of the evolution of the audio log. It's like lore and connection for people who care enough to listen. I think it's generous to include content in there like that, story background and those sorts of things. I think it is perhaps the most appropriate use of the word content within a video game because it does not enhance the interactivity 
of the game itself to learn that information, mm-hmm. but it is nonetheless there for people who want to study it and learn more about it. And it is, it's to use, to use some terminology that is kind of middle of the funnel marketing. If you want to suck people in deeper, you've already got them playing the game. Great. If you want them to keep playing the game, teach them a little bit about the background of the people that they're playing with and the characters that they've got in there. I would love to see, and I'm sure Blizzard has it, what the correlation is between engagement with sort of the optional narrative stuff and then something like skin sales. Like, do Mm. they sell more keys or boxes or whatever their monetization is for players who actually go and look at character bios in the main menu, whatever it might be? Yeah. The guys guys and gals at Blizzard are freaking genius PhD psychopaths. They really know how to do art and design and game loops. It's insane how sharp they are. I mean, I can't imagine how many psychology doctorates they've got on staff over there to know when to include just a tiny piece of new information, when to include a little bit of extra motivation to keep the person hooked in and keep playing. And that isn't to, and that's without even mentioning how much fun it is to play Overwatch, to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. And then, so I, I feel like to finish finish the arc, kind of what the the far end of the spectrum from wide form emergent gameplay is tight stories, right? So something like maybe The Witcher or Deus Ex, where you're inherit you're inhabiting this one guy, and he's already got kind of his his morals and his guidelines but you can kind of maybe take some branches on his path, but you're really living in the body of Geralt or Jensen, right? Yeah. Those games are fun, but I find myself playing them less and less. I like, I still, I struggled to finish the Witcher, even though it's an absolute masterpiece, you're still watching Geralt's story. You're not necessarily playing your own. I I have a lot to say about uh, Witcher. Um, We should definitely come back on that. Sounds good. Um, we just we just hit ten minutes for that topic, so I'm gonna make a note. Um, Witcher, Deus Ex. Okay, Witcher. That's uh, <laughs> the only thing that I, if I'm ever doing Witcher stuff, and it's like you come across a group of bandits, and like, who are you? And I'm like, I'm Witcher, jerk. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know what that is. I'm Witcher. <laughs> Let me pirouette on that ass. <laughs> yeah. Uh, quick topic, um, flash topic, uh, are content marketers hucksters or are you modern storytellers? And by you, I mean me and by you and I, I mean us, uh, man, 50, 50, mm-hmm. sometimes, sometimes you're putting together something you're excited about, like a talk or a presentation where you feel like, okay, this is actually useful. And then other times you're like, ah, I have a blog due this week. What the hell can I write about? I think we sort of, I think we sort of fluctuate in that spectrum, and I think also it kind of depends on what you're selling, because mm. there's products, stories, items that actually enhance and enrich people, and mm. then there's people who are selling, I don't know, anything that's being sold on Pornhub that's just purely exploitive and extractive. Yes, I don't know. I'm happy to hear how you think about that. I think education through marketing is the mission that we should pursue. I think advertising is filthy and disgusting. I think billboards and telling you that you need this particular type of English muffin is reprehensible. Um, However, I think if you are creating content and telling a story of how a certain individual has made their or improved their life, helped their business, given some time back using a particular product, that is a story that is worth telling. And if you can do that through content marketing, then you're doing the best version of explaining why this product or this service or what have you is so critical. It's tough to tell a, it's tough to tell the story of how somebody used uh, Trello to make their life better um using a billboard for example or 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 an ad on the right hand side of a website Mm -hmm. um that's why content marketing and all the different channels that you can go through and all the different networks and mediums is the preferred version 
of doing marketing these days because it lets you engage an individual where they need to be engaged. So content marketing is just a matter of whatever platform you happen to be engaging people on. And I think it is important that we get really good at this because it means we can destroy the old system of your life blows, man. You need this type of drain cleaner. You need marketing you, automation. You Our need. won't like you. You need a uh, marketing automation. <laughs> Man, they really, they really messed up when they didn't just turn you loose over there at HubSpot. <laughs> they canceled all my shows. <laughs> <laughs> you have, you have. I don't. My references aren't on point enough to name a director who all the good stuff he did was ever created was canceled, but <laughs> I think he might be a boy. <laughs> Everyone so, said no. Uh, Bob Bob Odenkirk and David Cross wrote a book uh, a couple of years ago, I think. Uh, it was called uh, Hollywood Said No, and it's the story of them trying to get a movie made and then taking that script and turning it into like a traveling tour. So it's kind of a memoir and also kind of an explainer about how terrible the system that is supposed to foster creativity, Hollywood, does not accommodate that kind of thing. I think there's some, uh, I don't know if you've been watching BoJack Horseman on Netflix, uh, but it's sort of a tongue-in-cheek look at Hollywood culture. Yeah. They kind of get into that, like telling these stories, like it starts out as this really cool passion project and then it gets focus tested and then suddenly you've got the new Zeus movie or Thor movie, whatever it might be. Yeah. I watched so, the first season of BoJack. I haven't watched the others yet. It's pretty good, man. It gets dark in the newest season, man. That, uh, that yeah. guy, what, what the hell's the actor's name? Uh, Will Arnett. Will Arnett, man. That guy, he's pretty much plays the same character in everything, but he plays him really well. Yeah. But down on uh, his luck, kind of sad sack, handsome guy. Yeah. Um, I remember in the first season, there's that part where he has to go see his former production partner and he's dying of cancer in some house in Malibu or something like that. And I'm sure a lot of other people had a similar reaction to that episode. They're like, wow, this is actually a show about something mm. and not just some adult swim style. <laughs> Everybody in Hollywood is Whoa, also an animal. Whoa. <laughs> Full house. Whoa. Whoa, a horse and a cat. <laughs> he's an agent and he's a horse. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. They did this episode with, um, they brought a new, a completely new, scribbly sort of um, psychotic art style in for Bojack's internal narrative. Just mm. every moment of his life, he's like, you're a piece of shit, man. Nobody, nobody actually likes you. Like you, you just, you don't deserve this. And it's this interesting, like, obviously our internal narratives probably aren't quite as jacked up, but yeah. bringing it forth in a ostensibly cheerful cartoon, <laughs> just sort of that internal monologue, just yanking at your soul. Yeah. Really well done. Anyway, I, yeah. Oh, that is, that is topic. Okay, cool. Perfect. All right. Next topic. Uh, let's talk about Star Wars, because yes. if th there is no greater machine of content in the world than Disney, and there is no greater crown jewel in that, I mean, you could argue Marvel, but I'm still going to argue to the side of Star Wars as the most valuable thing on the planet right now. The um, universe is still real to me, man. <laughs> it's, the, it's the Legends uh, timeline. Thank you very much. Uh, that's been retconned out of existence, but we can talk a little bit about what is canon and what isn't. Uh, but let's also talk about uh, underwhelming Star Wars movies, especially in the face of longer form modern storytelling on, say, HBO or Netflix or Amazon. You know, the TV series that's nine hours. It's kind of a mini series, but you call it a season these days. How does something like Star Wars, how does that storytelling in movie format suffer in the face of longer form storytelling that seems to be so popular these days on streaming. Yeah, I think for me at least, I grew up reading. My parents wouldn't allow a TV in the house till I was like 12 or 13. Good. At that point, I'd been pretty well converted. Like I'd been reading things like Dune, Lord of the Rings. Like I'd, I'd gotten in there. Yeah. And going to the movies, it's always fun, right? It's cool. There's explosions. There's loud noises. There's a big screen. But it always lacks sort of that deeper narrative, the world building, the internal monologues, 
all those fun little details that you get from character interactions in Overwatch, for example. Mm. And I think the shift from big budget movies to big budget miniseries has sort of closed the gap a little bit between splashy movies and long in-depth books. Yeah. How do they compete? I don't know, man. You tell me. That is a really good question because so many times I have been to movies recently and thought to myself, there was a missing hour in here or you had ideas for two movies for two, say two and a half hour movies. And you tried to cut it into just a two hour movie. And to me, that says something that you mentioned earlier. This thing was focus tested into the ground. Uh, basically any movie made by Sony is what I'm going to say. Um, the Ghostbusters remake from last year, uh, the Dark Tower movie from this year. Um, I had another one. The the Amazing Spider-Man remake movies. Uh, you just you look at it and you're like, whoa! You had a lot of ideas, and you decided that the ones that would be the most flashy should be the ones that you should put up there. And when you scatter shot a shotgun blast of creativity from from 200 yards away, you're going to get a wall full of constellations instead of somebody who is up closer to the thing and decides to actually do something other than shoot a shotgun at it. And with a mini series, you have all that creativity as well as the time and the real estate to fill in the blanks between all of those ideas. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, I think people demand that because people love reading between the lines of Game of Thrones. They love looking at an episode and being like, oh man, did you just hear what that dude just mentioned? Oh man, did you notice that this flashback just happened? And what does that explain about this thing? Well, I'm gonna jump on the wiki and I'm gonna read up on it. Whereas if you try to pull that kind of thing inside of, inside of say, oh my God, inside of Batman versus Superman, um, I'm gonna toss that corpse on the fire. Uh, yeah, toss. Toss that corpse on the fire. Um, <laughs> when you try to do it like that, and you try to do it inside of a two and a half hour movie, it becomes obvious. Mm -hmm. It it's becomes an they. There's a part in Batman versus Superman where Batman literally watches like a press kit for the upcoming movie. It's like, have you heard of the Flash? Have you heard of Cyborg? He's a cyborg. I'm like, dude, or you're just looking at some PNGs inside of a folder. He literally looks at some images and some video files inside of a folder of Aquaman. And it's so hack, but that's, if you watch the extra stupid long version of the bat of Batman versus Superman, the story makes a million times more sense. It still sucks, but it makes more sense. It's like three, it's a three hour movie at that point, but because they actually have the connective tissue between those plot points, it, it's make, it makes sense. But if we don't allow ourselves to paint on a on the appropriate canvas then for what the story demands then we are not going to create something cool and i don't know what happened with rogue one but the fact that that movie made as much sense as it did and it was salvaged to the degree that it was is kind of a miracle yeah i think uh i wonder if like at this point if i'm just a jaded star wars fan but I get to the point where it's like, I've read so much EU stuff. I've looked at so many wiki pages. Maybe it's just a matter of the audience. Because I go in and I'm like, okay, cool. We've got some lightsaber fights. But tell me about those shiny stormtroopers. Like, what's his deal? <laughs> well, that's that's the J.J. Abrams juice. Where he just kind of like, I'm going to put a shiny stormtrooper in the background. Who's a shiny stormtrooper in the background? Bet you're wondering that, aren't you? Anyway, let's get on with the narrative. Anyway, desert uh, planet. Yeah, and it's desert planet, desert planet, desert planet. Um, that's that's a certain type of storytelling too, where you kind of let more theater of the mind stuff takes take place, uh, and it lets a fan like you engage in the way that you want to be engaged, where you can imagine what Phasma is all about. But the really tough part is come come episode eight, which I think is going to rule because it's directed by Ryan Johnson, and he directed. Uh, Looper and Bl Brothers Bloom, which are two fantastic movies. Um, you're going to get your explanation for Phasma, and it's not going to be as cool as you thought. <laughs> Sorry, uh, because you don't you don't necessarily want answers like that. You 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 would I think we would rather have cool stuff couched inside of simple narratives. 
so we can imagine our own stuff between the lines. I could see it. I think that yeah. connects back to Overwatch, right? Phasma is a inter-character commentary, right? Yeah. It's just that little little drop, and then you go see what to do with it. Yeah. I could see it. Let's move on to our next question. Um, you mentioned you mentioned flailing earlier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and what what does it all mean, man? Um, oh man. <laughs> What what how, how about this? Let's focus this question down a little bit. Yeah. What what creation and content is meaningless? What makes content meaningful? Five minutes. Ooh, that's a that's a big question. Yeah. Uh, okay. So creation content that's meaningless, at least to me personally, is like what I do for a job, right? So I'm out there promoting an AI analytics platform. Sure. Like it's cool. It pays the bills. It's great on the resume, but I don't really care that much. Hmm. On the other side, I'm working with one of my, one of my I guess he's my brother, technically. Uh, he was a scout sniper in Afghanistan, and I'm trying to talk to him right now and kind of pull those stories out of him. We're going to try to do a short book together. Hmm. And actually telling stories about people I care about and subjects I find interesting, that's where you can really like lose track of time. But nobody really wants to pay you for that yet. So it's kind of this dichotomy there. Yeah, and when you're not doing that, and you have to apply skills from your day to day into something that you truly care about. You don't feel like you're flailing, but when you lack the context of something important, it feels like whatever it is that you're spending the time on becomes a little bit more meaningless. Let's let's talk about the uh, the book that you're working on in just a second. And before we do that, let's talk about what you do at work when producing content to make sure that it still retains some semblance of honesty and truth and you can have some conviction about what you're producing. How do you, how do you transfer that passion from quite literally a passion project over to day-to-day -day content production? Ooh. I mean, it's not always easy. Uh, I think for myself at least is I always try to make sure that my personality's in there somewhere. Whether I'm doing a roundup of resources you should be reading and I put like some Sam Harris podcast, something a little edgier from like Joe Rogan, whatever it might be, just making sure to share stuff that's not entirely between the lines or quite political, I think helps keep it more real and more human because everybody can write, I think not anybody, but it's easy to write a slick business blog that talks about alignment, but it's a lot harder to talk about alignment in the context of something that's maybe a little more controversial, something that's a little less sanitized. Yeah. What do you do when you, you know, for the last, say, two weeks, four weeks, you've written a bunch of blog posts or you've produced a bunch of content that has gone nowhere and has gotten responses from nobody? <laughs> Dude, if, if anyone listening is thinking about getting into marketing, that is a very common thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's, uh, could be a little disappointing you're like i spent three four hours on this thing and like 50 people read it and no one commented i think you just keep on keeping on right it's there's a reason they pay you to do it at work it's because you wouldn't be doing it if they weren't paying you so i think i think there's just you have to have some maturity about it and just be like this is what we need to do we can think about how we do it but we got to keep got to keep the engine moving yeah uh, what about you man i think about it uh with um eventually something catches you know um it doesn't necessarily mean that whatever it is that you happen to produce that particular day was bad or the thing that gets more viewership a different time was good i think it's a it's a numbers game and it's a matter of alignment at a particular moment because you don't necessarily know that when you produce something and you put it out there on a distribution network, whether you put it on social media or you send it out to people via email or what have you, sometimes they just miss. And you have to know if something does miss on a particular instance, it's not a knock against your ability. It's just something that you have to internalize and know that, okay, that was something that was an experience for me producing that. And next time, I'm going to know that I can either produce something better, faster, sharper, based on the experience of producing it uh, prior. And even though it didn't get viewership or traction or what have you the previous time, doesn't necessarily mean that you produce something bad. 
Yeah, I can, I can you, see that playing. You have metrics, people are going to be like, hey, I think that might have sucked, man. <laughs> that, that's just another battle that you have to fight. <laughs> I think I could see there's the other side of it, too, is just an investment in skills. Like, I just took a new position at a very young company, and the only other marketer they have is she's a girl. She's, like, kind of fresh out of school. Like, she's a hard worker, but she just doesn't have those production skills yet. And I think I can really, I'm really starting to see the payoff now where the amount of things I can produce and coordinate and make come to life is so far beyond what they've been doing that it is a bit of a validation of kind of the slog that happened before. Yeah. 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 Demands, demands a lot of you uh, to produce something that's going to be helpful to the context that you're in. Um, and that's, that's time on that question. Cool. Um, I'm going to skip the next one that we had written down because we already talked a little bit about yep. Netflix. Uh, do you want to talk about losing the narrative of your own life? Yeah, man. Or do Let's you want to? Deep. Let's go deep. Okay. Well, you, you wrote this one. Um, yeah. And I added a little something at the end uh, that asks, are you your content? What is the narrative of your life? What is your life story? And what is... What is a life story 50 years ago and what is a life story now? Seems like a life story 50 years ago was a lot more cut and dry, right? You kind of pick a few categories, like am I blue collar, am I white collar? But now it seems pretty much everyone, obviously not everyone, but more and more people are sort of getting sucked into this white collar nine to five day job vacuum. And maybe it's a failing on my own part to take the initiative, but for the last year or two, I've definitely felt like I'm kind of just drifting and there's not mm. too much narrative to what I'm doing. And I don't know if there's any cut and dry, clean answer to it, but you know, recently I've been forcing myself to create more things, meet more people, keep up with more people, go and do more stuff. And while it hasn't found a solid arc yet, it definitely feels like a step in the right direction of just kind of forcing things to happen, whether or not they're profitable, whether or not they're long-term. I don't know. I how, think, do you, how do you think about that? I think the older that we get, the longer our life stories arc becomes. And we don't see quick wins as often. We don't see changes. Pro we'll probably, we probably notice changes for the worse more often. And we don't account for the changes for the better yeah. when they appear because they, they're either more minor or we have trouble recognizing them on a grander scale. And that's really messed up. Um, some people will blame our generation for demanding instant gratification. Um, I say those people are a bunch of, bunch of idiots um, because anybody who, who prints that uh, probably check their email on a phone and hey, guess what? Um, that's that's pretty instant, isn't it? Um, so Tell buddy. I think, yeah, <laughs> I think that your initiative to give yourself quick wins, and I, I don't want to belittle the point of you going out and nurturing relationships and engaging with pe in the community. That that on a on a fundamental level, those are those are helpful, healthy, quick wins that you're looking for to offset the longer arc that your life has become. And the other thing is, a human being's life arc is what thirty percent longer than it used to be. It's a lot of air um, time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just don't think we eat enough red meat and smoke enough cigarettes to die uh, as as valiantly as those before us have. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, that it's, think, it's, uh, it's troubling. Yeah. I think if we're sticking, I, I think we should stick to video games here. Uh, <laughs> I think at this point I've noticed among myself and like a lot of people I know we're like 27 to 30 ish. I think we've left the starting zone and mm. leveling up takes a lot longer. It's a lot more experience. It's a lot harder work. So, you know, work on some new skills, try new things. Uh, that's, because that's what I have to say on that. Yeah, you notice the grind within your life and to be brave enough to know what your objective is in the next month, in the next year, in the next five years, 
that bogus question about what do you want to, where do you want to be in five years? Do not ever ask that in an interview of somebody who is 22 years old and just out of college, because do you know where they were five years ago? They were, they were stumbling through unpleasurable sex in the backseat of a Camaro. Uh, that's, that's where they were. So that's where their mental state was five years ago. Where do you think their mental state is going to be five years after that? You probably still having unsatisfactory sexual encounters. Um, <laughs> so don't don't ask that question of somebody who's brand new because they don't have the vision to look that far down the road, and that's unfair to that person. Now, honestly, if you're if you're hiring somebody who's twenty two years old, part of that is helping them figure out like what can be in five years. Yeah, because nobody outside of maybe like, man, I don't even know who is on a twenty two year old side at this point in life and can give them real advice. It's not their parents. It's probably not like a sibling. I don't know of a person who at that age who trusts somebody enough to get good advice about what they should focus on in the time between 22 and 27. I think also we see that a little bit reflected in tech startups that you have all these unfocused 22 to 23 year olds coming in and these companies are like, ah, you need meaning. Okay. Yeah, okay. I can I can exploit that and pay you very little and give you meaning instead. Yeah. You need belonging? Okay. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I need to belong in this desk about 60 hours a week and uh, repeat these mantras and do this and that. I don't know. It's a fragile yeah. time. Well, it's an adventure, isn't it? Um, and that brings us to our next question. Go uh, oh, are you going to get coffee? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit here idle for a moment. Hey everybody, what's going on? As you can see, I am drinking a cup of coffee out of a Muji brand cafe uh, coffee cup. Muji is fantastic. If you haven't been to a Muji store before, uh, go do it. They purvey in products that are called uh, extra normal, which means they are unbranded and they are so optimally tuned for the experience that this object is meant to produce you will change your life if you start using their products. They have, they have no labels. They are simply the best version of this article that you that's can possibly Muji, get. Muji.com slash ghostlittle. Again, that's Muji.com slash ghostlittle for a yeah. 10% discount. <laughs> also, uh, Blue Apron and every other bogus advertisement that they include on podcasts across the internet. Neundies, bro. Neundies. <laughs> like, oh, thank, thank goodness. We're all going to have... Wait, didn't didn't Amazon buy Blue Apron, or did Amazon because they bought Whole Foods tank Blue Apron? I think Blue Apron basically just got wrecked. I think yeah. they IPO'd, and then it has not been going well. Yeah, well, that's an adventure. <laughs> Let's uh, address this next question here, uh, and it has specifically to do with adventure. It kind of has to do with the narrative arc of one's life as well, because what happens when an adventure as a part of your life comes to an abrupt end. What happens when you something is so suddenly shaken, something that was so formerly consistent and reliable and dependable in your life? What happens to somebody when that is pulled out from under you? And how do you how do you come out doing okay after that situation? I'll tell you one. Uh yeah. Not to, we don't, I don't want to go back to the unemployment thing. Just I think that deserves more airtime. Oh, we're going to do a whole, we're going to do a whole other episode about that. Oh, bro. I'm so good at being unemployed. Uh, <laughs> don't tell my employers that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so my whole life I've been in martial arts and like from 15 onwards, I was in Muay Thai. So I did, did a few like interschool fights, did a lot of training, ran up and down a lot of hills, whatever. That's that, uh, that Tony jaw knees and elbows kind of stuff, right? Yeah. 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 So like yeah. basically the standing portion of the UFC. Um, and over the years, I'm like six foot three and lanky. My back just couldn't keep it up for that many years. I've got a degenerated disc now. And mm. that sort of sport and activity has always been just a core identity piece for me. It's something I've always done. I've found meaning and friendship there. I've probably created more endorphins, punching and kicking things than any other activity, except for maybe video games. <laughs> and over the last couple of years, Go I, on. Like, yeah, I came to the realization that like, 
I cannot be unable to get out of bed without serious pain a quarter of each year. Like I oh. can't do that anymore. So I basically have to kind of put a period on the end of that piece of my life. And it definitely leaves a little void that needs to be filled. So like going out there and finding other activities that can channel that sort of aggression, that danger, that challenge, it's hard, man. Um, and I don't think there's an easy answer to it. Maybe, maybe we can circle back on my thing, but like, what about you? What other, what adventures have you had to end for one reason or another? Um, in my life, I suppose the adventures that have had to come to an end have been jobs, uh, relationships, places where I've lived. And it's something in most cases, when you look at something that, you know, in your heart of hearts that you have to move on from you will look back upon it and know that, yeah, you probably, you did what had to be done. But in this case, we're talking more about stuff that was, has been removed. That's been outside of your control. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it might be a health issue or it might be an employment issue or it might be a relationship issue. I don't know. I don't, I haven't had that happen. Nah. Anyway, um, it's incredibly difficult to have some piece of your identity ripped away from you. And obviously, Martial arts is a really big deal for you. Um, you formed friendships, you released endorphins, you, you did a lot with that part of you. If there was a pie chart that showed who Joel was, martial arts is probably a pretty, pretty big chunk of it. And this is where we can get political for a moment. And I think about somebody who is told that you're a white supremacist and that's bad. And in their mind, these little slot machines go off and that element of them that is whiteness and because they're artards and that is 75% of who they are and they're told that that 75% of their identity that they built their entire life around is toxic and bad and they had no idea that that was actually a really awful thing. That's when somebody loses their mind and that is why so many people are defensive and unwilling to see things from a different perspective or, un or empathize with the individuals that they might have inadvertently been hurting. If that piece of them is taken away, they crumble because we haven't learned as well as perhaps we could to form a more segmented identity. Uh, and be able to stand up after a situation like that. And it's that's not saying that it isn't difficult to move on from that kind of moment. And I'm not saying that uh, there's, there's a longer thought there, but we haven't been trained as well to think about the elements that make up our identities or how to replace something when it goes missing or understand if something that uh, abruptly ends was a good thing or a bad thing. Um, oh no, I can't do heroin anymore. Like, well, that was probably bad. Um, oh no, I can't be a white supremacist anymore. Like that was bad. It's good that you can't do that anymore. Um, I think it also ties into sort of the overall cultural shifts we've had from sort of being a broader based person, right? You used to have to know how to farm, you used to somewhat know how to have to know how to fix your car, maybe do a few other things really well. But now we've come to the point of specialization where all I need to know how to do to survive is literally make PowerPoints and talk and write things. Yeah, they'll give you money for that and you can use that money to buy food. Buy whatever I need. Yep. And it's gone even further, right, with our media and our social networks where their algorithms have gotten so good at engaging us that they've started to just show us the thing that engages us the most. So yep. if I go on my Twitter feed, it's literally all politics and like drama. Because that engages. Exactly. And not having and being more people are more separated, more spread out. You've got your own private everything, right? You've got your own apartment, you've got your own car, you've got your own cubicle. It's easy for that one thing to through that own little feedback loop, just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I, I could see what you mean there. Like when when that thing gets pulled away, if you're like, well, I am a little bit nationalistic, like I believe in strong borders, I believe in security people on the other side have that same feedback loop going and suddenly you're either a communist or a Nazi. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where we've ended up. So I don't know what the way out is. I think maybe there needs to be some soul searching at the tech companies about what they do and what their incentive structures are. 
because right now those there's AIs now running our social media feeds and their key metric is engagement. And what engages the most is probably not the healthiest and most well-rounded for people. So I would be willing to pay a fee if I could see all the targeting info on me and <laughs> what they're doing with my propensities and my segmentation. Yeah. I, I wrote a blog article um, earlier this week about how we are at the mercy or terrible people have co-opted the technology and misused it for exactly that kind of thing. Um, they've used it to cement popular opinion, fabricated popular opinion, because an entire bot army can rise something up to the surface. And that is something that is detrimental to the mental health of the entire planet. And the people who invented that technology never anticipated that they would be poisoning the, poisoning the brains of so many people when they did that. And coming back to the point about tech companies and because of that penetration into the zeitgeist and the ability to alter the course of thinking for so many people so easily, again, so easily to manipulate what people see and don't see and understand as popular opinion or not, there has become terrible responsibility upon those tech companies to kind of be uh, a government. And that's terrifying as well, because a tech company is not beholden to protect the people of their nation. They are beholden to their shareholders to make as much profit as humanly possible off of the resources that they have. It seems to me, and I don't think this could ever really be done, that some of these companies should honestly become more nonprofit or public utility. Yep. Now, I, don't, I don't know if you could go to Twitter and be like, hey, guys, I think you're like a sewage company now. So we don't need yeah. Twitter. <laughs> how, how else will I get highly curated tidbits of outrage every day? I, I deleted Twitter from all of my devices. I still post to it. Yeah. But I don't read it uh, because I, I was just killing myself. I couldn't do it anymore. It's, it's Which hard, is, man. Yeah. Um, but that's that's a longer a longer question. And we kind of got a little bit off track about uh, what happens when a story comes to an end. But nevertheless, uh, let's do one more here. Sure. One more on the pile. Uh, creating your own adventure or journey. This is kind of a good capper. Is that a cliche to think about your life as an adventure and as a journey? Uh, is that something that we should even think about? Is that vain to think that you or I, you know, I don't, I don't think either of us is going to discover a mythical beast, kill it, and save an entire kingdom. I wish. Man. Um, you know, we are not, we are neither Jason nor Argonaut. You know, we're not gonna, we're not gonna retrieve the golden fleece. We're not gonna kill any darn, darn skeletrons. Um, but thinks of their life as the most important thing to them, which is natural. Mm -hmm. um, what is it in a world where we all can tell our stories? How important is it to think of our lives as something that's worth cataloging? To do that, to be so open to share this much of what we're doing. I think it takes a certain amount of I don't think it's something you have to do, but I think if it's I think it's maybe not at the level of hygiene, but something that at least in our modern ecosystem you should be doing. Uh just having a voice and having a face out there, it's hard to do, but I think it's valuable simply because you're sort of staking out your little territory, like your little piece of the discourse of the public thought sphere how we actually do that i think is tough and some people do it on youtube some people write blogs some people ramble for an hour with their friends over google hangouts i don't think hey, that's solved, us. but i think it's something that we should be trying to work on do you think talking about these things with like-minded individuals although i wouldn't necessarily say that you and i are entirely like-minded when it comes to like we've we've had disagreements about ghost in the shell. We've had disagreements about a lot of things, but <laughs> we're happy to have a discourse about it. And I don't think either of us wants people to die over, over these things. So I think we have a pretty good, 
we have a pretty good approach to discussion. And I think, I think we've got enough common ground that we can have good discussions, but enough differences that we can have interesting discussions. Yeah. Yeah. Man, this is a weird, this is a weird environment uh, to be living in right now, especially when, especially when we're, you and I are somewhat secure, um, you know, yeah, but something crazy. terrible. Yeah. Something terrible is probably not about to happen to us. Um, not going to get hit by a hurricane. Um, not going to be hit by a second hurricane. Um, man, that sucks. Yeah. Right. Uh, on the topic of forcing your own adventures, uh, two weeks from now, I'm going to be going with my wife to Iceland and we're renting a car and we're going to drive the whole outer coast of Iceland over the course of like seven days. Oh, dude. See all the, see all the stuff. I'm hoping for some Northern lights. Hopefully if you don't hear from me, like within the next month, I'm probably frozen on a high, highway in Iceland. <laughs> or you just decided never to come back. <laughs> oh, man, I don't think so. Iceland has not a single McDonald's on the entire island. Dude, you eat McDonald's? Fuck yeah, I eat McDonald's once in a while, bro. Okay, that's, that's fine, like I guess. That can just be another <laughs> point of contention for us. Okay, we'll do, <laughs> we'll do fast food, devil or yeah. Ill, next. <laughs> uh, no, tell me how the Iceland thing goes, because uh, that's on. that's like the next place that I want to go. Yeah, it seems like it's getting a little more popular as far as travel destinations go. Yeah, Game of Thrones really popularized it, and it's kind of still unknown. Apparently, a lot of a lot of Americans are going there and kind of trashing the place, so we've got a great reputation. Oh, so you're telling me that I can't just leave candy bar wrappers around? No, you can't just poo by the side of the road. You can't just <laughs> you can't just do that, bro. I'm gonna bring. <laughs> I'm going to bring, it'll be the greatest troll. I'll bring a bunch of McDonald's garbage and just sprinkle it along my path. Bring, bring yeah, no, I packed it in. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Terrible. Um, what should we be thinking about uh, with the journey of our lives? I think, I mean, I floated this idea at the, when we were planning the podcast, and I don't even really want to call it a podcast. I think that's an outdated piece of terminology and it's kind of also the property of Apple. I think that this is a, it's an audio show. It's an audio um, discussion. Yeah. I think this show and most of the stuff that I do when it comes to creativity is meant to help people imagine something a little bit better than what we're in right now. You know, a better environment, a better version of the future, uh, a better interpretation of the garbage that we have to wade through day to day. There's got to be a better solution to the approach that we're taking. We're about it. Let's have a discussion and let's maybe do some of the harder work because a larger topic that I want to talk about does have to do with the direction of all of our technological development. Why is it being used to build iPhones? And why don't we have a, you know, a Japanese bullet train going across the country? Why don't we have a Shinkansen? Why don't we have a maglev? Why don't we have a Hyperloop that connects all of these places? Um, and the answer is because America is too darn big and there's not enough darn money in it. Um, and it's more profitable to run an airport um, because airports run on gasoline and people, and you gotta gotta have those for American society. Yeah, man. Red-blooded <laughs> Americans burning gas and taking flights. Burning gas and taking flights. Burn gas, taking flight, America. That's right. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, All right, uh, I think I think that's the show. Uh, where do you want to do a plug? Uh, where where can people find you on social media? Uh. I don't have a website up right now, but uh, you know you can find me here, obviously, or at Joel Trog on Twitter, J O E L T R O G. I need more followers. I want to post more. Yeah, and as I said before, I do post to Twitter, but I don't read it. If I do get a an at response or something like that, I do see that show up. If you want to at me on Twitter, that's totally fine. My handle is at Alex underscore Crumb. And I post most everything there, uh, whether it is something that I'm working on or a thought that kind of makes no sense out of context, but it's going to be funny, I promise.
that's nice. And you can also read all of my work on ghostlittle.com. Do you, do you know where the term ghost little comes from, Joel? I've always wondered. What happens when you're playing Mario Kart 64 and you use a ghost and get struck by lightning at the same time and it makes you, it turns you into a ghost, but it also also shrinks you and makes you little. Um, <laughs> that's literally where it comes from. Okay, my blog's gonna be Mushroom Star. Yeah. <laughs> Mushroom Star! <laughs> yeah, that's right, the show. Maybe we'll do this again next week, but probably not the week after that because you're going to be in Iceland, right? Oh, buddy. I will be driving three to 400 kilometers a day because we're in Europe. I can't comprehend that. No, it's like minus 20% or something. Something like that. Hey, do you know what an AU is? It's like silver or something. It is the atomic symbol for gold but it is also what is called an astronomical unit, which is the distance from the earth to the sun. So one AU mm -hmm. is 19 million miles, something like that. Um, and I saw that show up in two places recently. I was watching the uh, original Star Trek, the motion picture, which is a really boring movie and really stupid and no one should watch it. Um, but they described a physical structure in that movie as 80 AU wide. Damn. And that's really big. And the other time it showed up was in Destiny 2 because you had to go and take out a sun a sun killing machine. And the name of the mission that you did that in was uh, 1AU, which I thought that was interesting. Showed up in, I'd never seen it before and then it showed up in two places you know, over the course of a week. That's a very, very human-centric measurement. Yeah, right? <laughs> the distance from our planet to our star. This is forevermore the measurement of distance. Yeah. This has been the Ghost Little Show. I am Alex Crum. I'm Joel. If you made it this far, thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, and I shouldn't have used the term artart. That was bad. <laughs> it's fine. That was that was inappropriate, and I, I apologize. I don't give a shit. Yeah. I believe uh, in I believe in intention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>